Um, if you have not been able to make it the last weeks or you're new here, we are going through a book of the Bible called Jonah. Jonah is a prophet and what they call one of the minor prophets, which is just someone that is, is um, declaring the message of God. And so in the book of Jonah, we are learning about how do we discover the call of God on our lives. And we're learning from this crazy, rebellious, kind of messed up, almost slightly racist at times prophet called Jonah. And uh, if you think I'm crazy saying that or being dramatic or just culturally appropriate, read the book. It's in there. So, okay, um, Jonah. And so uh, this little phrase I want to start as we, as we open up chapter three today of Jonah little phrase I, I want to share. Telling others about Jesus. Now, I know when I say that phrase, some of you maybe feel cringy. Some of you feel a little anxious or like a pit in your stomach of like, I'm going to make me tell someone about Jesus or whatever. Um, some of you maybe feel shame because you feel like, man, I haven't done enough of that in my life or in the last season of my life or whatever. But, you know, I think for those of us here who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, I think we know, first of all, on one hand, we look at the world around us and we see the brokenness, we see the division, we see the hatred, we see the shame and the fear, and we see the sin and brokenness in our world, right? And on the other hand, we know we have a savior. We know we have a God who loves the unlovable and cares for the marginalized, who sets people free by speaking the truth in love, who heals the sick, who transforms lives, and who ultimately died on the cross for the sin of mankind so that whoever believes in him could be completely forgiven and receive a new life and have a fresh start. We know these truths, right? We know that we live in a broken world. We can see it. We don't even need to open the news to see it. And we know at the same time that we have an incredible savior. And I think we all believe that our calling is somewhere where those two intersect. Our calling and our assignment from God is somewhere where those two truths intersect with one another. But the problem is, I think most of us feel like we're left asking and a little confused, how in the world are those supposed to intersect in my life, right? What, what is this kind of middle zone of these two truths intersecting and, and how do we live in that middle space? And so, um, now, if, in case you're intimidated about uh, the thought of how God could use your life to bring hope and love to other people, let me just kind of encourage us to be strangely encouraged by this rebellious, angry, kind of messed up guy, Jonah. Because if God could use a jacked up prophet, right, to bring one of the greatest revivals in, in the history of the world, as we're going to see in this chapter, then God can use you and me. Anyone believe that? So I, wanna, I want to look at the story of Jonah as we lean into how do we follow Jesus 
into our places of calling? How do we follow Jesus into our assignments that he's given us to love and care for people and bring hope to the world around us? And I wanna answer a few questions today we're gonna be looking at, such as how do I start that if I feel like I've biffed it and missed it so much? But the question we'll be looking at is how how do we approach the concept of sin in a world that doesn't really believe in the concept of sin? Or what does it practically look like to live on mission day to day in 2021 in a changing world? And so like actually the last few weeks, I'm gonna spend the bulk of my time actually in the first few verses. Uh, I've been promising you I'd get you lunch. I've been getting you to lunch. Uh, so we're gonna do that again today. Don't worry if we're just on verse four and we're almost done because that's what's somewhat gonna happen. All right, so starting in verse one, Jonah chapter three. Uh, By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to put Bibles in your hands. We believe that God's word is the inspired and invaluable word of God and that God wants to speak to you through it. So put up your hand. We'd love to, if you you need a Bible, we'd love to get you one. So feel free to grab one or put up your hand. We'll bring one to you. So starting in verse one of Jonah chapter three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We're gonna pause there. Aren't you thankful that we have a God of second chances? Like how bad did Jonah biff it? Like just a reminder in case you you haven't been tracking with us. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And it's not like Jonah just decided like, oh, I forgot, you know, or like, oh, I'll kind of just like go over here and do my own thing. Jonah like planned to disobey God as much as possible. He planned to run from God as much as possible. He got a ticket to the farthest possible place he knew of, right, Tarshish, uh, Tarshish, all the way on what was known as the other side of the world. Jonah systematically disobeyed God. Right? Jonah completely biffed it. So I want to encourage you, it is never too late to embrace the assignment God has for you. I don't care how bad you've biffed it. I don't care how bad you've messed it up or completely forgotten the things God's called you to. Or if you're like me, you just get your head in your belly button and you go through like your week and you're like, man, just another week. And I just like, I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I'm a little frustrated and I just like trying to make it, right? Like, Like that's me a lot of weeks, and so if you're like me, right, you need second chances to step back in and say, oh yeah, like there's a world out here that, that needs Jesus, and God, you put me here for a reason, right? So I wanna encourage you to stop beating yourself up from your past passivity or misses and receive grace today to step back into the call and assignment of God on your life. Now I wanna go back a verse because I think it's important that we see how this second chance came to Jonah and where it happened. The last verse of chapter two, it says this, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. So it's commonly believed when we hear it vomited Jonah out on dry land that it was like Jonah was in this place called Joppa where he left and then he took off and then the fish just like conveniently spit him out on the shores of Nineveh. The problem is, if we can see this map, Nineveh is not a beach town. Nineveh is by Baghdad, okay? So 
he did not get spit out on the shores of Nineveh. That would be like, hey, I'm sailing today to the shores of Phoenix, Arizona. Right? Like, like that's just not how it works. Right? He had to go. He got, he got spit out where? On the shore. So where did he get spit out? It was not by Nineveh. It's back where he started near Joppa. And let me tell you why that's important. Because Joppa was the place where Jonah disobeyed God. And so where, where did God take him back to? His point of disobedience. As one preacher said, it's like God put him back there and said, well, Jonah, what choice are you going to make this time? God truly gave Jonah a second chance. When God gives us a second chance, he's probably not going to bring us to the new, shiny, most comfortable thing that we've always wanted. He's probably going to call us back to the last thing he said and we didn't do so that we could learn to be faithful with what God put us. So if we're out there searching for the new word of the Lord, but we're not getting it, I want to, us to ask, did I do something with the last word of the Lord? If we want a new assignment from God, what are we doing with our current assignment? If we want a new job or a new promotion or a better thing over here, what are we doing in our current job, right? To love those around us or our current classes to love those around us. Because man, if we can't love other people like Jesus in a job that we don't like, what makes us think that we'll suddenly become like Jesus when we get what we want? Matthew 25 says this, he who is faithful in the little will be ruler over much, and God will allow us to go through some circles in, in the current roles we're in to learn faithfulness so he can trust us with more and more assignments. We want to look like Jesus where we're at now, not where we aspire to be. Okay, so I wanna start now in verse two, and we're gonna see the beginning of a process of Jonah stepping into his assignment here. It says this, God said to him, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, I love this phrase. You see the beginning, arise and go. You see that word throughout scripture again and again. You see, Jonah couldn't just have a great calling an assignment in theory, right? Just like I can't have an assignment to lead this church and then sit home on Sunday mornings and eat potato chips on the couch and just pray for y'all, right? That actually worked for, you know, six months during the pandemic. It was kind of nice. So uh, uh, I went camping on Sunday morning and y'all watched a video of me. You know, it was nice. Uh, but, but ultimately, I can't just sit home and eat chips on Sunday morning. I actually got to go. I got to show up. I got to obey what Jesus called me to do. And I got to take a shower and look nice for y'all too. So, um, so same thing with Jonah. He had to get up and go. And this is what we see again and again in people in Scripture when God calls them. Abraham, go to the land which I'll show you. Moses, go and lead these people out of Egypt. Joshua, go, arise, and lead these people in the promised land. The disciples of Jesus, go, make disciples of all nations. What did Jesus do when he was broken over a sinful world? He went and he came and he lived among a broken people so that he could incarnate the love of the Father to us and go to the cross on our behalf. 
That is who we're called to be. As we talked about in chapter one, as Jesus, as a father sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us to go. Now, I think when we think of the concept of going, those of us that maybe been around church for a while, we think of international missions, right? We, we think, and, and we're all about that, you know, so I'm not dogging on that at all, but we think, you know, this, these nice moments occasionally in our lives, a few times where we step out of all our problems here and we go and we kind of swoop into another place and another time and another people and bring, you know, hope and love and life to people. And then we often kind of spend the rest of our year or the rest of our lives here kind of trudging through 40 to 50 hour a week jobs that we don't like or trudging through classes that we're getting through or whatever, kind of waiting for some call from God to go and do something glorious like the handful of people in the body of Christ get to do. But I want to ask you, what if the job you were trudging through right now was the assignment and call of God for you? What if the classes you were going through or the, or the place in the neighborhood you lived or the crazy family member that you don't enjoy being around and kind of get nervous around, what if that place or those people were the call or assignment of God and you were to, as scripture says, as you go to work, as you go to see your neighbor and take out your trash can, as you go to your family gatherings, what if we lived sent in the nine to five work hours? What if we lived as though we were actually called by the living God. You know, statistics say that about 65% of Americans are frustrated and disgruntled with their jobs. And honestly, I don't think we're doing a whole lot better in the church because I think we often have this like grandiose concept of a calling and then we have this job over here where like this stinks. You know, one day God's going to speak to me and elevate me to all my potential. And then everyone will see, you know, how great I am with Jesus, right? And so we pray these prayers, right? Like, God, what are you calling me to, right? What are you calling me to? Speak to me, lead me. And then meanwhile, the person in the cubicle next to you just lost their mom and is depressed and is discouraged and doesn't have anyone to talk to us. You see, we so often disassociate the call and the presence of God from where we spend most of our waking hours. And we spend those waking hours waiting until we can go to church or waiting until we go to life group or waiting until we can go on a mission trip one day and really be in the middle of it. But what if that was the middle of it and God's presence was with you and sent you out to the people that are already right next to you? How would we work and live differently if we truly believe that we were sent? How would we relate to coworkers or family members differently? How would we serve or carry ourselves in our jobs or our classes differently? How would we greet people in the cubicle next to us or in the seat next to us in class differently if we really showed up and said, I'm called here. <laughs> hey, good to meet you. I'm called. I'm called to be here. <laughs> God's with me right? Don't go be weird. I'm, but, but like really, what if we thought that way? I would bet that we would live a little differently. I would bet that we would go to work a little more confidently. I would bet that we would live a little more prayerfully, right? If we had a framework change 
about how we saw ourselves. So I think it's interesting, though, in in verse 2, of the type of instructions that God gives Jonah. Let's go back to verse 2. Because he says, go to Nineveh, and he says, speak to it the message that I will tell you. Jonah didn't get the whole deal. He didn't know what kind of bargain he was getting, right? He didn't know what kind of bargain he was getting ahead of time, right? What did God tell him? He told him where to go, but he didn't tell him what to say, how long he'd be there. It didn't tell him the outcome of what would happen. It didn't tell him what kind of people he'd meet. It didn't tell him what kind of food he'd get to eat. It didn't tell him a, a whole lot of things. He just said, go, and then you'll say some things that I'll tell you to say. You know what God, I believe, wanted to develop? Trust. Trust that Jonah would fulfill and see the fruit God wanted to see by depending on God and not on himself. You know, um, sometimes uh, as, a, as a family, we will make great plans, right, to go somewhere. And my kids are, are very smart. And so sometimes they kind of, you know, inter- interact with me and kind of, you know, we'll negotiate because we don't all like long drives or whatever. Interact and kind of say, hey, what, is, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do there? And what are we going to do when we get here? And, and I get it. What they're trying to do is what a smart person probably like me would like to do and even I do with God sometimes. I'm trying to make sure the good's going to outweigh the bad. Right? But the only thing is, Right? I've got great plans that the rest of the family may not exactly know what they are. And so me sitting down and explaining every little detail won't help. What they need is to trust me that I'm good and I've got great plans and I know the lay of the land and I'm about to lead you into it. Same thing with our lives. Trusting God will take us much farther in the things he's called us to than knowing every detail on a whiteboard or a schedule will ever get us. If you want to really walk in God's call for your life, it won't be worked out in your own strength, your own understanding. We can't fulfill the call of God without dependence on God, right? If we wanna walk in the power of God, like all of us would say like, I wanna see God do miracles. I want to see God do something in my workplace or my family that only God could do. And some of us, we know our family. We know our workplace. It's going to take God, right? (laughs) We would all say that. Like, I want to see God do something, right, that is awesome. But if we're going to see the power of God, we need to be dependent on God. We get the fruit of God by walking with God, not hearing God tell us to do something and run away and do it on our own. I love Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. That is how God wants to lead us, step by step. You may know, like Jonah, where your assignment is, but God's not gonna give you every detail. And so often we wait until we get the details before we take the first step. And God's invitation is to trust me. Not me, trust him, right? (laughs) All right, let's, let's look at the next couple of verses here. Because we're going to see 
the message and the method as God sends us into our assignments and the places God calls us to, right? If you remember the first week, we talked about the call of God is the things we're made to do, but the assignment is where we are currently doing that at. So as we follow Jesus into our assignments, we're going to learn from Jonah here. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Finally, I added that. According to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. In fact, it was arguably possibly the largest uh, civilization or city at that time in the nation uh, of, uh, and it was in Assyria. So a huge city at that time. Um, and so Jonah was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. And so what it's saying is that basically Jonah was going throughout Nineveh for three days declaring the word of the Lord. So he's walking, you know, going around declaring for three days straight, okay? Jonah began to go in the city going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, just for some context here, again, Nineveh was not the most welcome place. Like, there's a good reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. In fact, um, in the book of Nahum, which is also a minor prophet, chapter three, the whole chapter is about God's judgment on the city of Nineveh, and it describes why, right? Why would God want to call out against a city that people he loves in it? It, it says in Nahum chapter 3, they were good at witchcraft. They were good at prostitution. They were good at child sacrifices, right, and murder. In fact, it says that bodies were stacked up on the street because of the amount of murder happening there. And so God has a strong message for the city of Nineveh. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now that's not like seeker friendly, <laughs> right? There's a reason why, why Jonah wasn't pumped about this, right? And I think there's probably a reason why God didn't tell him exactly what he's going to say. He snuck that in on him, right? You're about to be overthrown 40 days from now, right? This is the message and now I'm not saying that we need to go out and use these same words or approach, but what we actually see in this message is the gospel. We see the good news of God in this message. There's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is judgment is coming. Because we have a God who's holy and righteous and cannot tolerate sin unchecked again and again and again. And the good news is there's still time. Do you still got time? God wants to pour out his mercy on you. You see, there's no good news without the bad news. And I think so often as Christians, especially in today's age, we struggle with being very happy about this theology that we see in scripture of sin and this concept of sin and right and wrong. And there are certain things that scripture says are black and white issues that are right and wrong. We often struggle as well in today's world of this concept that there are demonic powers out there and there is another kingdom wanting to wage war, not just by sending a little like you know, horned beings into the world, but would actually want to wage war through systems in our world and through people in our world. But we struggle with this concept of evil 
and sin. But to me, this is actually extremely helpful because it explains why our world is so messed up. I've done some studying of like all the different theories out there that explain why our world is as messed up as it is. And honestly, I'm just not satisfied with any explanation other than what I see in scripture, right? When I'm sitting comforting someone in tragedy and they're wanting answers, instead of find, trying to find nice quips and nice philosophies out there to kind of like paint, it's like, no, we just live in a broken world. Instead of just trying to give you a quip right now, it, it, it is what it is because we're disconnected from God. Right? And when someone does something that just seems like pure evil, sin is the best explanation. You see, what we want to do in our culture is when we see someone that seems more evil than us, we distance and we cancel to show that we're better than them. Well, I'm not like that. I don't treat people like that. I don't treat women like that. I don't treat, I would never do something like that. And in fact, I'm gonna say something about it so that I can kind of distance. You know that I'm not that kind of person that would do anything like that. And so on both political sides of the aisle, we are canceling and we're shouting and we're saying things and out of this insecure place to try and prove our righteousness, but it's not working. <laughs> it is digging us deeper in the ditch. You ever taken a car in the beach in the sand and you just Go deeper, the you know? That is what our culture is doing because we don't believe that we all have sin. In this world where we're shouting at one another, we all got sin. We all messed up. We all need to repent. We all have a tendency to think we are the center of the world and my way of thinking is the best way of thinking and the only way out of this is confessing our sin. It's not some nice theory or theology, and I believe we should be involved in politics. It totally has a role, but at the core of it all, people will not save us. We need to acknowledge our sin. And it is the best explanation for why we are in a mental health crisis. It's the best explanation for why we are in the division we're in. It's the best explanation for why we live in a broken world, why we struggle with depression. It's because we live in a broken world and we have sin. And so, when I'm talking to people, where God's called me to, I'm not coming shouting, sin, 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 you've sinned and I have not, and I will cancel you, or you can come to Jesus and he will not cancel you, right? I'm stepping into their pain. I'm stepping into their experience of a broken world. And then I'm helping them give a framework for why they're ex experiencing such evil and why they are tempted to do such evil, right? So the theology of sin and the bad news we have is actually good news because it gives great explanation for why the world's messed up and why we're experiencing pain. And when we understand the bad news, we can see the good news. That we don't need to stay there and there is hope because we have a Messiah, a Savior who stepped into the world who will take our sin and forgive us and not cancel us but make us new and make us whole and make us uh, his children. This is good news. And so let's look at Jonah. What, what did he do? He said he called out. He called out. So Jonah, right, I appreciate Jenna's boldness. And so some of you might say, are we supposed to like go and shout throughout the city? Like if we're gonna do what this says. 
Now, Jonah had a unique calling and a unique purpose, right? He was an Old Testament prophet in a unique time um, going to the city of Nineveh, right? And so we don't necessarily read this and say, I must say those words. And, you know, 40 days, Fullerton, and you will be toast, you know? Um, there's a unique time. Because if we're to go that way, then like Isaiah, we'd read that and we'd go out naked. Like that's not what we're supposed to do. We look to Jesus as our primary model of how we step into our assignment. And what did Jesus do? He incarnated himself. He came and lived among a hurting and a broken people. And he brought that, he brought another kingdom, he brought love. And I love Jesus gives us a picture of how this is supposed to play out so clearly. Matthew chapter five, Jesus said this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city and a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before other people so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Now I want you to think about that passage for a minute. What does salt do? It seasons, right? It, it brings flavor, right? Salt brings flavor to what you're eating. Anyone salt fans here? I'm a little too much of one. And in those days, it would also preserve. They didn't have all the preservatives. They would put salt to preserve meats, um, salt was a preservative. And so God's saying we're salt. You are to bring preservative to our broken culture and you are to bring flavor to a dull world. Yeah. When the world's not the most exciting place, we're supposed to be the most exciting, right? A personality filled people. Then he says, go be the light. Put, what do you put a light? You put it in a basket? No, you put it you put it up on a stand so people can look and see. And so Jesus is saying, this is how we're to live. We're to go out and live among people in such a way that is different and is intriguing and causes curiosity and gets people talking about it. It's like, why, why does he relate to his coworkers so differently? Like, we bag on him all the time, but like he keeps coming back and loving us. Like, what's the deal with that? And so just what, what does living on mission look like? First of all, be yourself. Be, don't try and be like the world to reach the world. Don't lose your salt. Be you. Be Jesus. The world needs to see us. I love uh, Larry Hurtado, who's a historian of early Christianity said it like this. I couldn't find the exact quote in his book. So this is kind of my paraphrase of his um, book, uh, in his book, Destroy the Gods. The irony was in that each generation, the world was converted by a church, not that was the most similar to the culture, but rather was the most distinct from the culture it lived in. The world does not need you towing the line in sin to see it come to know him. We will change the world when we live this unique culture that we are cultivating here out among people who need it. And so I wanna invite us, go love your neighbors. 
Go choose sobriety and emotional and mental health in a world that numbs through substances. Let's carry God's biblical sexual ethic that causes the world to scratch its head at times. Let's live in healthy relationships. Let's be vulnerable. Let's have hard conversations, right? Let's care for people. Let's advocate for those who need advocacy. So let's go be Jesus, not our flavor of Jesus that we're trying to patch up and put together to impress people. And secondly, that might mean being friends with people who don't know Jesus. You know you can do that? You can do that. And you can actually enjoy that. I'm not saying if you are tempted to get drunk, just go have a bar ministry. But what I'm saying is, uh, we often spend so much of our time clustered together. I want to encourage you can have some people over for dinner that you work with. And you can even share the same hobbies, right? So I want to encourage even life groups. What if y'all took a week or two off and just went and did that, right? Like just, just helping you kind of shake it up a little bit. Um, let's, be, let's ask people questions about their lives. Let's, let's get curious about people. Let's care. Let's, how, tell me about your family. Tell me about your world. And you know what happens when, when you ask questions? Stuff comes up. Hurt comes up. Pain comes up. Stuff that actually needs a little hope. What if then we, we, we radically served people? Like what if as life groups we said, hey, my coworker just lost a parent to COVID and they need some financial needs. Let's raise a couple thousand dollars and just give it to this family who doesn't know Jesus. Like, like what if we did that? And not like, so, they, so you know, you'll pray a prayer and like hopefully, maybe, but like maybe not, but like we're just loving people, right? Or like what if we radically served our coworkers? Like, boom, I just keep giving you encouragement notes. You know, I know you're going through it. I just keep doing it. Why do they keep encouraging me, right? That's what it can look like. And then, of course, we have great opportunity to share the good news of Jesus as we're in people's lives. What we see at the end, I'm just going to buzz through this for time because we're about to wrap it up. These people actually repent. Like, bodies of people stacked up, right? Like, like child sacrifice. Like, this is not a pretty city. These people actually repent. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne, removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree the king of the nobles. Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and, not, and, and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That's like, you know, the president of a nation getting on TV like, I was wrong. <laughs> I was in sin. And I don't just claim to have a faith, but I was in sin. And so we're all going to repent as a nation, and we're all going to call for a fast and prayer, and we all need to repent, and I'm going to start with me. Like, that's not ever happened, I don't think, right? Like, this is a move of God happening. 
And then I love this, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster and what he said he would do, and he did not do it. God spared them and gave them incredible mercy. Incredible, incredible. God changes hearts. Here's the principle I want us to grasp. We step out and God changes hearts. We love and God makes that love real and changes hearts. We speak truth in love and God sets people free. We're not responsible for saving people. We're not responsible for changing hearts. We're not responsible for making decisions for people. We're not responsible for healing all the pain in everyone's life. We've got a God who's really good at that. And we get frustrated and disoriented and paralyzed because we try to play the role of God and then we just never start. And so I wanna encourage us We care, we step out, we love, and God does the rest. The results are up to God. All you need to do is step out. So I want to set you free with that. And so as we respond, a couple things. One, maybe some of us like we need this mercy in our own lives. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know if I have a relationship with, with God. And I wanna say that this message I told you of Jesus coming to the world to forgive your and my sin, that's for you. I don't know what you've done or what forgiveness you need or what hope you need, but I wanna say you can walk out of here forgiven and your past be history and start a new chance today. And if that's you, I want to invite you to call upon the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive you. And for the rest of us, I actually want to take a minute and just sit before the Lord and let his spirit speak to our hearts. Maybe the names of a couple people that were to follow Jesus into their into their worlds and care for them. Or maybe a place that you spend time consistently. And I wanna invite Jesus just to to place those people and things on our heart. Because the reality is many of us, if you're like me, I live with my head in my belly button half the time. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's, there's people with need like around me, oh yeah. Like I can step into people's pain and people's story and care. And maybe today God is lifting up our heads today. Maybe some of us, we've run from the thing, the people we know we're called to love and need to come back today. Maybe some of us, um, we just need to get our arms lifted along the way. So we're gonna just take a minute in the presence of God. We're just gonna be with Jesus. He places those people and places on our heart.